Hello and welcome to Food Systems, a podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, where we discuss ideas that can shape a sustainable food system, from farm to fork, from policy to consumers, and everything in between. I'm your host, Robert Graff, and you can find us on Twitter at Forum for Ag. These episodes will be available every other week on all major podcast platforms. Before we get started, we would like to say a quick thank you to the Forum founding partners, the European Landowners Organization and Syngenta, as well as the Forum's strategic partners, Cargill, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the Nature Conservancy, Thought for Food and the World Wildlife Fund. Please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to Food Systems. Today we're talking to Alberto Arroyo. He's the head of policy and program at the IUCN regional office and IUCN has recently joined the forum uh, as one of its new strategic partners. Alberto, thank you so much for joining Food Systems. Thank you, Robert. Um, I want to talk to you about a report that you helped co-author last year and for our listeners, we'll put a link to it in the show description. Of the practices you outline in the report on sustainable agriculture, the different practices, which of the those practices do you think could make the greatest contribution today? Which one and which one do you think is the most underused? Thank you very much. And actually, I am very happy that you asked me about practices, because as you probably have seen in the report, we speak about approaches, about uh, tools and about practices. Uh, I don't want to enter into a ontological discussion here. That's not the goal here, but simply to focus on the real practical elements here. And this is a practice. So actually, one of the conclusions we get in this report is that whether we speak about one or other kind of approach for sustainable agriculture, you know, agroecology, sustainable intensification, nature inclusive agriculture, regenerative agriculture, what comes always everything to the big conclusion is that there is a number of practices behind that are relatively coincident in all of the approaches. And therefore, we can identify a list of them that are relatively similar or repeated in the different descriptions. And therefore, we can conclude that a number of practices are actually sustainable agricultural practices. And I can say with, I would say, quite confidence that uh, if we will be using, if we would be using this kind of practices for every kind of agriculture, we will definitely be doing something much more sustainable and here if you want i can actually tell you some of them one of the some of the practices that we have identified crop rotation the inclusion of cover and companion crops mixed crop and intercropping the reduction of synthetic pesticide and mineral fertilizer use no or minimal tillage lower livestock densities managed grazing free range well this is just a short list and actually there are even much more but these are the kind of practices that are definitely helping when it comes to sustainable agriculture in your report, you outline many different practices, many different terms. Why then are all these practices, when essentially when you boil them down, they're similar up to 70, 80% of the time? Does that 20% really matter that much? Well, there are a number of different approaches, as I was saying before. And uh, it's uh, very interesting to see, at least this is what we see in our in our report, that it's just a matter of naming sometimes. We, we kind of like different names. Uh, actually, I have to say something that we came up with this glossary of different uh, terms related with sustainable agriculture, and we have over 180 in this report. Since the report is out, that was in 2019, there is already a new kit on the block. 
that we didn't even count on it at the time, this nature-positive agriculture. Well, to be very honest, I'm not 100% sure we are speaking about something completely new. Simply, we have another way of describing the things. Maybe it's helpful also when it comes to policy, as we know. Um, I mean, one of the practices, it's good you bring this up, because one of the practices that you do outline in the report that seems to be very much in vogue at the moment and is hitting the headlines is regenerative agriculture. Um, you, As I say, it's outlined in the report, but why do you think that right now regenerative agriculture having is having such a moment? And is it a useful framework to consider when its terminology seems to be very broad and, may I say, vague sometimes? Uh, my short and quick answer will be yes, why not? Regenerative agriculture is one of the approaches that is out there and is really helpful. It has a number of uh, principles and, again, practices that can be very helpful for sustainable agriculture. Now, whether it's uh, very different from others, well, it's difficult to say. You know, regenerative agriculture actually is coming from the previous conservation agriculture, which was uh, a bit before, if you want, but they are not exactly, or they are not that different. Uh, also, it's interesting that you are mentioning regenerative agriculture as one of the popular terms. That's right. But I will add that now, nowadays we speak a lot about carbon farming. It's also a very popular term, if you want. Well, it's, it's also in the report. Of course, it is there. But at the time when we described it, it was really at as its infancy, I would say. And uh, it was there because we identified it as a very prominently politically, potentially promising. And now it is very much out there and it's getting more and more popular. Well, I come back to the same. If we do the practices that are right, let's maybe not bother that much about the name. Some of the things you outline, crop rotations, no-till, cover crops, uh, reduction, reduction of pesticides, these are fairly common things. And it sometimes strikes me that we spend more time talking about how these things should be done than how that than, than actually being implemented. So what stops any or all of these more sustainable terms from being implemented more in, in a majority of, of, let's say, European farms? Yes, well, one of the issues that, again, we were discussing about in our report were the challenges in relation with the implementation of these uh, approaches and practices. And actually, one of the issues that is coming up a number of times is the issue with profitability, scalability. Well, knowledge is also an important one. Well, uh, if we come to the sustainability in relation with the economic bit, which is, of course, one of the fundamental ones, I would like to remind here that also, the so-called, if you want, or what we could call conventional agriculture nowadays is very subsidized. So if we want to ensure that there is a transition to something different, which is what we are speaking about in every context at the very moment, we will need some support. Yes, we would. But it is already there. There is support for what we are doing at the moment. So simply this support will be redirected to other kind of uh, practices. Well, we will definitely will be advancing much more in that direction. I mean, speaking of policies, certainly this has been picked up in Europe. We now have the new common agricultural policy. We have the farm to fork strategy. There's the, the Green New Deal. There's the Fit for 55. If you look at, let's start with the common agricultural policy, which is really the baseline and certainly provides the money. Do you think the new common agricultural policy will actually substantively bring about practical changes in the farm? Because that was promised for the last policy, and some say that that has not being delivered to the scale as was promised back in 2013. Yes, there are elements in the new common agricultural policy that are helpful. The green architecture of the CAP provides some opportunities, such as the, the eco schemes that are now in, the, in every discussion related with the common agricultural policy. 
yes, there are opportunities. Uh, now, probably it could have been better if these opportunities will be more emphasized on the one hand, but also more compulsory, being made not only voluntary as they are in some cases. And also very important here is that a very strong bit of the responsibility here is not in the Commission's hand, rather on the member states' hands, which means that there are still a lot of decisions that we do not know how they will look like. We will know by the end of this year, or rather during the next year, or rather by the end of the next year, when we will have the CAP strategic plans in place. But at the moment, there is a still a lot of room for making things happen. And this is in the hands at the very moment of the member states and the commission with the discussions that they will have with the, with the member states to agree on these CAP strategic plans. So all in all, the new common agricultural policy provides some opportunities. Uh, there could be more, but very importantly, at the moment, a number of uh, decisions have not been taken yet and actually are in the hands of the member states. And let's focus on the member states then for a second because this is something this is a concern that was raised during the drafting of this common common agricultural policy as well is the concern that maybe some or all of the national ministries who really haven't had to look after detailed agricultural policy for so long may not be in a practical state ready to take on this responsibility how do you feel about that we do not have the feeling that it was the best maybe to give or to leave that much responsibility in the hands of member states it is useful definitely to ensure that some of the decisions are taken at that level because uh, the conditions and the situations are very different from country to country even from region to region and biogeographic region of course there are lots of things to take into account but there could be more strength if you want coming from the centralized common agricultural policy it is called common for a reason of course if there will be a stronger emphasis in ensuring that we achieve in particular the environmental targets it is uh, at the moment difficult to know how we are going to monitor the achievement of all these targets with the current system that we have with all these different decisions taken not at a central level and also to see how the monitoring of these common agricultural policies will be easy to be translated into performance or not in relation with environmental targets. Speaking of, of performance, one of the most interesting things about that, and you mentioned it in the report, is the need to have a really a correct identifiable baseline, ideally even per farm, so we can monitor improvements and maybe move to a more sort of pay for performance type of model. How close do you think we are to having these indicators and baselines in the right place that we can really monitor performance at a useful level. That is one of the gaps that we identified. That is absolutely correct. It is not clear. It is not uh, something that we can say that is working perfectly at the moment. And actually, this is something where we want to focus our efforts also in the future. There are lots of indicators and a lot of metrics and a lot of possibilities to measure different environmental the performance towards different different environmental targets but everything is at the moment a bit messy if you want that i put it that way we will need to have some clarity on the one hand and also some kind of agreement that we are all happy with the way we are monitoring this this performance we are going to actually work in during the upcoming years in trying to gather the information about what is out there in terms of metrics and indicators, how it is being used, how they are being perceived by different stakeholders, and to try to get some recommendations of what will be a potential way, good way forward for the future that will be acceptable for all. It's a challenge, but well, we like challenges. I think it's certainly an important one. However, it strikes me slightly strange that we talk about starting with indicators and starting with baselines and having a new CAP that focuses on that without having these really in place i mean whose responsibility should that be is it the individual farmer again is it the member states maybe it's uh, you know a controlling agency 
where should the responsibility lie for setting up and, and controlling the standards? Well, the baseline of where we are in terms of environmental performance, we have a number of pieces of information, both at European and at national level. I will add even sometimes at regional, sub-national level, let's say. Now, I would say that uh, in terms of setting the indicators and setting the big targets, or rather, in terms of following the big targets with some indicators, it is definitely the higher level, let's say. That's the way we, we can understand what we, what is happening. Now, reality is that how to match this with the collection of information, also with the understanding that the farmer itself can know what is happening. That is a challenge, and I completely agree that we are not there yet. I think that there is a number of things happening at the moment that are not sometimes connected, are not sometimes understood very well. And we hope that we can get some, some better information in the future with what I was mentioning as one of the focus of our work in future. Which is the, which of the practices that you outline in the report do you think is the one that's the most underused where you think, well, really, it's quite easy to achieve. More farmers could do this. You know, is there one or two that you really think, oh, there is something that we could promote better or do more of? Oh, you put me in a compromise here because I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly one that will be better than the other. I think that there is a combination. And also, you know, it is not the same in one farm or in one country or in one region or in one biogeographic region than another. So I will not really go to one, but I will say that a combination of all of them will be useful. It's not an exhaustive list. And I think we all understand that these are not things that act alone or that can be implemented alone. But I, w I'm, I, I would like you to make an effort at, at trying to answer this one. Okay, then I'm going to, uh, I will not avoid the question. Uh, there is actually a, a target that we know in the Green Deal in, in some of the strategies, not only one actually, as we know, it's in terms of the reduction of the use and risk of pesticides. Well, that's something where if we could make progress, we will advance a lot. And that's something that will be not only useful for the environment, but I want to say also, also I want to add here for the health. Actually, this, that's why it's also at the, in the farm to fork strategy, by the way, because it is something that is helping beyond the practices or the, the agriculture, the sustainable agricultural performance. It's also about what we eat finally. So that's something that will be helpful for a number of different targets. Speaking of the way we eat and the way we consume here at this podcast, we certainly talk about not just the farm, but also the consumers, everything in between. Is there anything that people at an individual level listening to this podcast could do more of just where you would say, well, that you too can make a contribution to more sustainable agriculture? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, again, I'm not going to avoid the questions because I could say a lot of things here, but I'm going to go to one very specific one. I think that we will all relate to it very quickly. Uh, I think that you are aware, I'm sure that everybody is aware that there is an issue with the food waste. Well, I think that uh, the figures are really terrible. It depends what you what you read, but you will hear between twenty and one twenty percent and one third of the food that is produced ends up in the rubbish. If we could try to reduce that, we would already be a major advance in that direction, and that's in the hands of not only us, of course, this is about retailers, supermarkets, and uh, uh, restaurants, etc., but this is also in our hands. So the little bit we can do for that, like when we were a small child, maybe you remember, at least my father was saying this to me, you should finish everything that is in the plate. Well, that's something that is useful, not only because your father says it, but for the environment. Let's pull back a little bit again to the sustainable development goals and to the macro level. Uh, in the report as well, you, you say that sustainable agriculture must deliver uh, economically, socially, and environmentally, because otherwise it doesn't work. Of these three pillars, which one of the three are we closest to achieving in Europe and, and furthest away, realizing that, of course, you have to have all three at the same time? 
But are there some where you say, okay, maybe economically we're doing a bit better and environmentally we're doing a bit worse? Where would you sort of, how would you rank them, if you will? Okay, here I have a very clear answer. If we will have a problem with the environment, if the environment will not be working, let's say, we will not have anything to discuss about social or about economic issues. This is just the base. And yes, it might sound like, well, you are speaking from IUCN, International Union for Conservation of Nature, but that's reality. There is this configuration, maybe you have seen it, of the SDGs as a wedding cake, where you have in the base of it all the environmental targets after the economic targets and after the social targets. And just, just to represent that without the environmental targets being achieved, we will not have anything to discuss about the other targets. That's simply the base. We produce something because we have a landscape and a place to produce it. So we have to start from that. And that's clearly something that uh, I think that is important, an important message for all of us to remember. Um, let's turn now to, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, IUCN has recently joined the um, Forum for the Future of Agriculture as one of its partners. And at the FFA, we've always placed a very high importance on the need for open dialogue between different stakeholders. That's very fundamental to us. But do you think there could be limits to that approach? Are there any actors where you would say, there's no point? we shouldn't invite them because it just makes the discussion worse. Some people would argue, for example, that when you talk about energy, you shouldn't include fossil fuels anymore because that just needs to be phased out. That's an interesting approach, I have to say, from the perspective of IUCN, and I will say even my personal perspective, but in general of IUCN, there is nobody we should not be speaking with. Because if we want to achieve a change, we will need that everybody feels responsible for the achievement of that target. They have ownership over those targets. And that includes absolutely every sector. And by the way, you should know that we are also discussing with the uh, fossil fuel this, uh, actors. It is uh, a challenging one, yes, and they have a business model to change and a complete facing out uh, challenge in front of them. That is completely right. But why not talking to them? They will have to do that. So let's try to help. That's the same with absolutely everything that is related with agriculture. So I would like add here pesticide industry and any kind of industry or sector that you will imagine. I wouldn't say that we should avoid the discussion with anybody. Um, let's talk about the other side of this same conversation then. Are there any specific voices or communities that, that you feel are underrepresented in, in the current dialogue that we are having? Who are we missing or who should we be hearing much more of? I think we are discussing pretty much with everybody at the moment. Uh, maybe if you want, the focus has been quite strongly uh, oriented towards the production. So farmers and land users, which is okay, fair enough. It's a very important part of the discussion. And I think that maybe only more recently, it is happening. I'm not saying that it's not happening, actually for a while. But what I mean is that it has always been very much focused on the land side, on the production side. And now we are starting also with a discussion that is broader than that. So in that sense, it is good that we are starting to focus more in, in, for example, I mentioned a number of times the pesticide industry, but I think it's a very important one. Well, that's uh, that's probably the way forward, to enlarge it much beyond the producer side. And actually, by the way, this is not an issue that is just uh, related with agriculture or with farmers. We know that very well. It will not change if we don't change the whole system, which is uh, a food-related discussion, I would say. In that discussion, I mean, as you say, you mentioned the pesticide industry. We've talked about farmers. We've talked a little bit about consumers. Where along that chain, again, could we make more rapid improvements? Is it supermarkets that could really make a change? We've talked a little bit about individuals. Is there a certain sector along that chain? You, you would say, oh, but there is some low-hanging fruit, some easy gains to make. 
That's a difficult one to answer, I have to say. I I will come back to the same that I was saying before in relation with the with the pesticides, and it seems that I'm speaking too much about this, but just because there is a target now, and there is there is a, a target that is repeated actually in different strategies, and there is an opportunity now, because even the pesticides industry, I think they are perfectly aware that things are different. I think society will have difficulties to understand a stronger use of pesticides in future. Rather, the understanding will be in the other direction to reduce it. So there is a challenge for this industry that will need to slowly think what is the business model for the future. And there, there are opportunities to help to make it more smoother if you want and also going in the right direction. So yes, uh, if you want me to highlight one, I will highlight that sector now. Okay. Uh, well, let's stick with, with that sector for a moment there. In, when you're having these discussions, do you make a differentiation yourself between um, natural quote-unquote pesticides like sulfur or copper and synthetics, or is it is it a, a total phase-out of, of all of them, essentially? Um, well, we are speaking about reduction. Uh, that's yeah. uh, that's the key point here. Yeah, of, of <laughs> course, but in an ideal world, let's say. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I wouldn't like to make a difference, to be honest. I think that uh, we need to change the way we are doing things, and uh, this is a challenge, a big challenge, and uh, we need to think about it holistically, not only focusing on a specific ones. Some of them, of course, are relatively easier or more um, challenging to understand why they are being used. But uh, I think that the challenge is all over the spectrum of the use of pesticides at the moment. Do you think the alternatives are a place as well? I mean, we've had discussions for a very long time since I've started working in this industry about uh, robotics, about certain gene alternatives. Do you think the alternatives are in place that we can really make a substantive effort in phasing out these crop protection products? Or where are we with offering farmers an alternative? We are in the direction of finding ways to do it. So there are, uh, if I come back to the report that was the start of this conversation, there are some approaches that are using much, much less. I think uh, we're all familiar with uh, the typical, if you want, organic, uh, biodynamic, etc. Well, there are ways to try to do this and to try to get some benefit out of it. So there are examples. Uh, there is also the new technologies that are being developed, and of course, that will also help. But definitely the direction of going into the more cool if you want so-called agroecological approaches that would be very helpful not not everybody means the same thing when they talk about agro agroecology is there a certain definition that you like to use or that you say well that's agroecological and that is not or how do you how do you approach that well I, I have to say i like very much this question because this comes definitely to the heart of the report that's what we try to do to try to clarify we didn't invent anything what is in the report is what we see in the literature out there and actually very interesting we also try to have the opinion of very different actors landowners environmental organizations uh, farmers academia even decision makers and we all have some kind of consensus in this report so it, for me i will say that it's a little bit of a referential document and if you ask me the definition of absolutely anything related with sustainable agriculture i will tell you go to the report i, th I think that's that's very wise and again we will link it in the in the show description we're coming up on the end of the podcast but before we close i wanted to ask you the same question that we we ask of everybody which is if you have one practical or one policy idea that you think could make a difference for a more sustainable food system, what would it be? Okay, again, I could go in a lot of directions, but I'm going to be very specific. I think that we are lacking at the moment a clear vision 
of where we are going. So it depends who you ask, he will tell you a different thing about how should be the future of sustainable agriculture. At the very end, we need food, we need healthy food, we need affordable food, we need food everywhere and for everybody. And we also need the environment to survive. So we have two different challenges that we need to sort out in the same way or with a kind of a common solution. Well, as long as we have different ideas of where to go, we are just going to push in different directions for two, I insist, two priorities for society. Now, if we could simply try to join the different views into one way forward, this is the way and all the efforts will be there, we will start to avoid to row in different directions, which is a loss of energy. So for me, I would say that this is one of the fundamental issues, to try to sit down with everybody that is important in this discussion and try to find a common way forward as much as possible. And by the way, this doesn't mean that it's the same way forward for everybody and in every place. But it's something that we can agree in this place or in these conditions or in this situation, and that will be very, very helpful. I, I fully agree with you, and that is certainly one of the things that the FFA has tried to do now for, for more than 10 years, uh, and I hope it's one of the reasons why you've become one of our uh, new partners. Alberto Arroyo, uh, Head of Policy and Program at the uh, IUCN European Regional Office, thank you so much for joining Food Systems today. Thank you very much. Before you go, we think you might also like the podcast called Ask a Harvard Professor. There, you'll hear from some of the world's most prominent scholars. And one episode you might particularly enjoy features Emily Broadleap, clinical professor of, ha- of law at Harvard Law School, on finding simple solutions to reducing food waste. You can subscribe to Ask a Harvard Professor on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, and there's a link below in the show description. You've been listening to an episode of Food Systems, a podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Look for us in two weeks when we release our next episode. And in the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app, as well as on Twitter at Forum for Ag, for updates on this podcast, news, as well as forum events. Please check out our website, www.forumforagriculture.com, for more great content. Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.